Hello, and welcome to the galaxy's first ever episode of Set Phasers to Stun. I hope you're excited to dive into the real-life science behind the stories we love. I'm Mick, and along with an enthusiastic crew of fellow science experts and sci-fi enthusiasts, I'm going to explore the truth that underlies science fiction. Today, I'm here with Jeff. Take it away, Jeff. Hi, Mick. Yeah. So recently, I've been reading a lot of different comics, manhwa. I like film and TV, but comics are really where my passion lies. And uh, there's this recent one on Webtoons called uh, Flower, uh, which is, as you can imagine, about flowers, plant life, and a war of some kind, which you obviously don't find out about straight away. And a central concept in this series is plant tissue engineering. And the, the main character starts off by getting a heart transplant of the first plant-produced heart tissue, effectively, or heart organ transplant. And yeah, obviously, it, it spans out into a disaster scenario in space, which is always good. But it got me thinking about tissue engineering in particular and organ transplantation and lab-grown tissues and organs and um, got me looking into the journals and research that's been done. And really interestingly, um, I found an example of where in the lab, a bay, I think it was a bay leaf, has had all the cells flushed out of it to just leave the kind of network of plant tissue that doesn't have cells, the, the structure, the scaffold of that bay leaf. And then what they've done, because it has all these networks within it, which can put obviously liquids go through there to fuel and um, feed the plant and Basically, what they've done is stick stem cells into the plant tissue and it's naturally formed a kind of network. And it's obviously not got transplanted into anything yet, I, I don't think. But it, it's that kind of scaffold and tissue engineering concept, which could lead to effectively making hearts for transplant or any, any other kind of things for transplant by using the natural structure. So you're an expert in tissue engineering, aren't you? It was really interesting to me because I did my PhD in a regenerative medicine program where I was using stem cells and 3D materials to build a model of the brain. So it really appealed to me from a science and sci-fi loving capacity. How realistic is it then? Could we really have vegetarian organs for transplant? I don't think that we'll ever get the cells being plant-based but the structure with the natural network uh, that really kind of, you, you look at the decellularized bay leaf with its natural network, and it looks a lot like a circulatory system, a vascular system. I definitely see that kind of concept of decellularizing, flushing out all of those cells which aren't compatible with humans, and then flushing it through with our stem cells or heart cells, which or whichever tissue you're trying to be making with those to form a tissue for transplantation. So what's the benefit of that then? Why would we want to grow organs on plant scaffolds instead of on animal-based or even fully artificial scaffolds? I'll start with the artificial scaffolds. Potentially, yes, you could do that. But there has been lots of problems with rejection of different materials. So it would have to be truly compatible with human tissue, which is something which is being looked at. And with advances in 3D printing and the like, then those complex networks and structures can be made but it is always a risk and it's just one avenue is being looked down in terms of animal transplants just using the core scaffold structure decellularized you know flushing out all the cells and that that is something as well which is also being looked at so what, what you do the similar concept with the leaf 
but you'd flush out all the animal cells. So you'd have the network there and then put in uh, human cells, which is also another really interesting avenue. And something else that they talk about 3D printing, after you've flushed out all of the cells from this animal tissue, you can then melt down the structure and then 3D print that into a complex structure as well, which is really interesting, as long as the printing technique can bring out enough resolution with that. So there's lots of different advances across the spectrum of regenerative medicine and biofabrication as well that could be used. So what would potentially make a plant scaffold better than any other kind of scaffold? Is it less likely to be rejected or just easier to get? I think the concept and the reason why the lab looked into it is it's obviously very easy to access and grow those scaffolds effectively from a leaf. Um, and the, the remarkable natural complexity of the vascular structures is really interesting and does mimic the human tissue quite well. Yeah, I, I think it's mainly to do with access of tissues and making sure that there's enough to go around effectively. With advances in the other areas, it, it might end up being that way. But I know from looking at corneal tissue replacements and stuff like that, it's quite hard to find good living tissue that works. And especially you think about emerging countries, countries without infrastructures for these kind of things, um, being able to decellularize and then refill a leaf for transplant is a really attractive prospect. In our science fiction future, then, do you think this is the kind of technology we'd just use for transplants, or would we use it for other things as well, like growing food for a population that's too big for the planet it's on? I'm not sure about food exactly, and in terms of regenerative medicine aspects to answering that problem, I really like the idea of lab-grown meat. Uh, a lot of people don't, but I, I like the idea, and that also comes from similar concepts, using stem cells to create those animal tissues that can be made into a nice steak. But I suppose as well, the, the natural structure of the leaf or plant tissue could be used to make that process more effective. One of the problems with growing lab-grown meat is that when you scale up to bigger volumes, it's really hard to guarantee that you get the same consistency every time. And that's one of the things that me and my friends are talking about in the lab. And they were much more skeptical than I was because they were much more realistic about the difficulties of growing things on that scale. And I think grafts as well. Artificial skin is a huge, huge market for tissue engineering at the moment. It's really emerging. And um, it's one of those things where when it gets done right and people can do it consistently and they can prove it's done consistently, I think that it will be something which, as long as it's made accessible, which is obviously a whole nother barrier, uh, then it will have a really big impact on medicine. And that's really part of the sci-fi angle to it, isn't it? In many sci-fi futures, we've gone one of two ways. We've either gone to a fully unified, egalitarian society in which everyone has everything they need, or we've gone into a full dystopia, and there's either an underclass or an entire population that doesn't have what they need. So tell us, Jeff, which way are we headed? Well, I'm a firm believer in a utopia, and in that a utopia is never perfect for everyone. <laughs> Every utopia is someone in that population's dystopia. That's my sci-fi in me. My scientist in me thinks that as long as there's options and as long as um, enough money, enough time and enough commitment is made to these kind of tissue engineering approaches for new organs created from plant leaves, from human scaffolds or animal scaffolds with human tissue in there, as long as there's a commitment to that, it can succeed. 
but there's obviously so many other things that go into it i don't see it happening soon unless there's a big breakthrough that i don't know about obviously there's i'm sure there's lots of different things with intellectual property that hopefully is going on and, and is about to happen i think that it should go towards the point of creating better healthcare for the world not just for the people who can afford it and i think it it takes a lot of good work from people in different positions at research universities pharmaceutical companies stuff like that to actually make sure that's the case and it isn't an exclusive and um, elitist thing that's, that's also a good sci-fi story as well <laughs> so who knows Absolutely. It alleviates a lot of the issues with not having enough human organs to go around or with ethical concerns around different types or sources of organs or even cultural considerations. So that's good. But of course, we live in a rapidly changing world and many of our plant and animal species are already threatened. So what do you think? Is this technology likely to make things better or will it create new problems if we don't have the right kinds of plants or enough land to grow them on or a climate that will sustain them? I think it will solve more problems than it creates in terms of resources and plant structures and stuff like that. Obviously, this is just one leaf looked at. We know nature is amazing at creating these natural structures, which effectively promote life. And, you know, evolution wise, it's kind of developed to have a perfect, well, not necessarily perfect, but almost perfect. Like you look at the circulatory system, it's, it's an amazing feat of evolution to have that running through us. And the same with plants, that there'll be hopefully many different plant species which could contribute to this. Obviously, the bay leaf in terms of that, it you know, a perfect size for things. Um, but it may come to the point where we start to look at engineering plant tissues, plant cells. In the past, we've obviously selectively grown plants to meet certain needs. And I imagine that if that is an avenue which it goes down, uh, where we, we look at creating plant structures for human tissue then why wouldn't we make sure that we can create all of those structures there's another thing convergently with other areas of science as well so you obviously look at the amount of rice crop which is diseased and, and spoiled in the world i think it's a, about 50 percent of all rice is unusable effectively or there's diseases which affect them if you solve those problems it could also avoid any problems with availability of, of those other things as well and like saying with stem cells and animal tissues and lab-grown meat if you can grow an organ in the lab, there's ways to make those structures more available, that tissue more available, whether it's human or animal or plant. Tell us more about that. That sounds interesting and potentially dystopian. A lot of the major fruits or vegetables. So you look at a banana from however long ago, and it looks completely different to the bananas that we have now. Even you, you look at banana sweets and they taste entirely different to the bananas we have now and that is because bananas don't taste the same anymore which is really sad because banana sweets taste fantastic bananas are still great but those banana sweets definitely have more flavor so if you were to time travel i think that going back to having one of those bananas would be really nice i have to disagree with you there i think banana sweets taste awful and i'm not time traveling back for them not for that no no, no. definitely not <laughs> not worth it yeah, so obviously there's been lots of changes in fruits and vegetables, things we grow basically throughout time from our own influence of selecting what we want for our consumption. And I can see the same thing if we were to um, select certain plants with certain physical structural networks that we, which are better to insert human cells into to grow these tissues and organs. Then, of course, we'll probably, if that's the goal, then there will be uh, agriculture dedicated to that, I imagine. 
and in terms of biological engineering or you know genetic engineering if it comes to any kind of crop problems that is always an option and that's something which is being looked at in terms of the rice yields that i mentioned earlier you know how can you genetically engineer these plant tissues to avoid the wasted crop and um, the lack of resources for us for our consumption there may be certain uh, network properties which we might think are favorable and adding in certain genes or any any kind of genetic editing through whatever means which we can do as technologies progress there will probably be more options for us in that area and adding in those traits which we would find attractive to creating organs or transplantable tissues would be really useful without specific examples and looking into literature it's definitely something which could happen in the future so you mentioned bananas and the fact that they taste completely different than they used to and that the flavor used to be stronger the same is true of other produce like tomatoes which are now bred more for size and hardiness and less for flavor so forecast for us the plate of the future what's our dinner going to taste like and look like in a hundred years it depends like i said about lab grown meat even my friends in the lab who are obviously scientists and stuff they did not find the idea of lab grown meat attractive Another one of my friends is a vegan and he is more of the, the mindset that plant grown meat alternatives, if you improve the quality of that, then that might solve a lot of issues. But obviously within that as well, there's the problems with crop yields and stuff like that. But what I found interesting and I'm not sure we'll catch on is that insects and insect burgers, insect meats are extremely nutritious and can be made to taste very good and very much like your normal run-of-the-mill burgers and other meats. But the problem is that if you're trying to sell an insect burger, a lot of people aren't interested. So in my mind, I see this trifactor of hopefully you've got lab-grown meats being funded well, you've got plant meats being funded well, and you've got insect meats being funded well. And that can form a big, big basis. And insects as well, they are easy to farm. So you can get a lot of bang for your buck. So which one would you choose from the menu then? Would you be eating the lab-grown burger, the plant burger, or the insect burger? If it tastes good, it doesn't look like an insect, I'll eat the insect. It sounds like it's really nutritious. And I'm sure it can taste really good. I mean, I love a burger. And they aren't particularly, um, well, they say people don't like to see how the sausage is made. It's similar for burgers, I suppose. Definitely agree. I've never had insect-based fake meat, but I have had actual insects, ants, cockroaches, and so on. In fact, I regularly bake with cricket flour. It's quite savoury, so you probably couldn't make a cake with it, but it's great for things like bread or crackers, and it's full of protein. And a large part of the reason I do it is that I always feel a little bit sci-fi, like, mmm, I'm eating the future food here. Cricket flour? Yeah, cricket flour. It's basically dried, ground-up crickets. Wow. So one of the problems with insect meat, lab-grown meat, and even plant-based meats that I think about for the future is pricing. And having people actually embrace it will hopefully increase the demand, allow for the infrastructure to be there to reduce the pricing and allow it to be scaled up so that people can have it for, for cheaper. How expensive is cricket flour? Very. I would happily buy a lot more of it if I could afford it. But right now I use it quite sparingly because it was a gift and I can't afford to replace it. On that note, there's an issue of acceptance right now. You know, how many people would buy a cricket burger if they could just have a cow burger instead? But if the choice is between a cricket burger and no burger, 
we might see a lot more acceptance of insect alternatives because are people more likely to give up burgers altogether than to eat cricket burgers? That's that's the thing. It has to get really dystopian before we really know. <laughs> and hopefully it doesn't get that dystopian. But yeah, my hope is that it can just be marketed really, really well and people get on board. I reckon if we can convince people to buy slightly unappetizing freeze-dried food by marketing it as astronaut food, then we can get people on board with bugs. Yeah, I mean, people didn't know they were eating horse burgers, and obviously some places, I think, people eat horse. So maybe food could take some convincing, but what about a more pressing necessity? We've been talking about organ transplants. Can we engineer lab-grown organs so there's a lower likelihood of rejection? We can already put animal tissues into human bodies. You know, we can replace failed human heart valves with cow or pig valves. Could we do something like learn to transplant organs into or out of alien species? Well, I suppose it all comes down to what we know about the human body and what we can adapt from engineering and bioengineering. But more importantly, and when you think about alien tissue and aliens, is what does an alien look like biologically? Well, aliens could be just about anything biologically, so who knows? But what would be the main considerations then? As an expert in tissue engineering, what do you think we'd need to look for to find compatibility between humans and aliens? The alien species would have to have similarities to human biology. That's obviously the core of it. Um, I know there's lots of theories about alien life not even being recognisable to us uh, because it could be so different. But I suppose in the same way as like the, the leaf example, if it has that kind of network and compatibility of tissue structure, then there's always a chance. But in terms of engineering and stuff, it might be a case of engineering certain aspects genetically to be more compatible, or even just the structure in a similar way, looking at different technologies. And, and who knows, an alien species may have the technology which we need to do all these things a lot better, but that depends on your views on the advanced nature of alien species. <laughs> so I guess if an alien species does have that technology, we'd better hope that we could be friends with them, because I'm perfectly happy to participate in a cross-species transplantation program, but I would really like for it to be voluntary. Yeah, you don't want to be the species on the plate. You want to be uh, the species next to the other species in the lab. Exactly. So in terms of cross-species transplantation then, what do we most need to worry about getting right from the start, and what can we tweak ourselves through engineering? For instance, obviously, a species made of totally different materials, like the horta, would be off the table in terms of organ transplantation. They've got to have organs, and they've got to be based on the same things as ours are. But does it matter if the species is similar in size and shape to us, or is that something we can work with after the fact, like when we take pieces of a larger liver to transplant into a smaller recipient? Does the species have to have the same kind of immune system as we do to avoid rejection? Or is that something we can compensate for with genetic engineering? I think it's a complex mix and a myriad of factors that would go into it. As we know from animal tissue transplants or animal organ transplants, and again with heart transplants as an example, the animals which are most similar in size and shape and structure of heart to us are the ones that have really been looked at for that because even a perfectly functional rabbit heart may function exactly the same, but it just won't be good enough to put into a human from size, base perspectives and stuff like that. In terms of immune cells and stuff like that, the physiology and biology there would have to be very similar as well. The specific makeup of all those immune cells, circulatory cells that are so important to our healthy function they really have to be similar i think 
there could be a possibility of tweaking and stuff like that but there has to be that biological compatibility between it that cells look at it and they don't reject it one other thing uh, that could be interesting is say if we found an alien species um, or an alien species found us which has similar physiology but also had aspects of regenerative capacity this is obviously a, a dream kind of a shopping list of alien species if they were to help us out in this way but there are so many um, creatures which have regenerative capacity in our natural kingdom and none of them are suitable for transplant unfortunately yeah if there was a shopping list then it would be an alien species who wanted to work with us and had regenerative capacity and maybe we could get some alien stem cells and grow up those cells and get some nice tissues and organs from that there are plenty of organisms in our environment that can regenerate parts of themselves, like lizards, many of which can regrow their tails, or axolotls, which can regrow not just limbs, but also their hearts and spinal cords, or even starfish, which can regrow their entire bodies from a single arm. So if we humans are already growing new tissues and potentially one day organs on artificial or leaf-based scaffolds, then what's stopping us from adding a little axolotl magic into those? I mean, it's something that's being looked at, definitely. Um, we learn so much from the natural kingdom and plant life and other species. And there's plenty of research looking into different tissues which can get regenerated. And that's an area looking at creating tissues for the eye, for transplantation in that area. There's a massive lack of tissues available for that at the moment, and especially in corneal tissue. It's something where people are looking at different genes, different proteins, different biological aspects of these animals and looking to see how we can bring that into human physiology or human tissues that are grown in the lab. Which is really useful because people are often quite hesitant to donate corneal tissue, even when they're happy to donate other organs. Do you know why that is? There's a few different reasons why people really put a lot of emphasis on the eyes of their loved ones and um, it can be quite traumatic to think that their eyes are getting taken away even though other organs are more often donated when you think of your loved ones you think of their face mainly you don't think of oh you might think of their heart but not their actual heart so i think that's a big issue with that and it's part education but not even just that just um people becoming more comfortable and and maybe even just realizing how much of a big deal it could be to donate those tissues. It's literally site for someone who may need it. There are big biobanks which store a lot of eye tissues uh, for transplant. And as I was saying about the other tissues, there's lots of artificial ways which are being developed to hopefully mean that we don't have to rely on the generosity of people who are making those tough decisions at a really traumatic time. So listeners, take note. If you ever find yourselves with spare corneas, there are definitely people who would appreciate them. Out of curiosity, though, you said that the more similar an organism is to us, in terms of everything from physiological functions to size and shape, the better their organs are for transplant. So why do we use cows and pigs instead of other great apes? I honestly can't answer that. I don't know. Sorry. Maybe, maybe it's ethical. I know that plenty of pigs and cows can be quite smart, but there's a boundary which is yet to be crossed. And I'm, I'm a staunch advocate of these lab-growing tissues because it's fantastic to use those principles of moving away from animal models. I'm not saying that animal research isn't needed, but it's always good to reduce the amount of animals used for these things. So 
artificial lab grown leaf grown even i'm a big fan of so because i am living in the future i asked my computer why we don't use great apes for transplants and it seems some people as you said have ethical concerns but apparently the main reason is the risk of disease transmission because there are a lot more diseases that a human can contract from an ape than from an organism like a pig or a cow too similar so what we're saying is that aliens might be just about perfect who knows the right aliens will be different enough yet similar enough well like we said earlier let's just hope we're advanced enough in ourselves to make friends with them when they show up yeah on the petri dish or beside the petri dish let's find out thanks so much for joining us this week and hopefully you've learned something you can take back to your home planet if you've enjoyed yourself don't forget to like this podcast subscribe to our feed or both in the meantime we'll see you next week Set Phasers to Stun is hosted by Mick Schubert with music by Sam Watts. You can find Mick at MickSchubert.com and Sam at SamWatts.com. And you can find Set Phasers to Stun on every major podcast platform, as well as at SetPhasersToStun.substack.com.